Uh, if you have your Bibles, open them up with me to Second Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14. Chronicles, Second Chronicles 7, verse 14. And we have um, gone through a number of weeks to talk about the church uh, in various aspects of what the church represents and what the church is about. Today we're going to talk about the church as a house of prayer. The house of prayer. And the scripture in Second Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, and pray, say it with me, and pray, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and I will hear their land. Would you pray with me? Father... I ask in the name of Jesus this morning that uh, you would remove any distraction from our hearts and our minds in the name of Jesus. I ask you that we would uh, not partner with anything, with any spirit other than your spirit right now. That we would hear the words of your heart for uh, this church this morning. Father, I have done my best to prepare myself. Now, Holy Spirit, do your work in every heart, I pray. Anoint my lips in Jesus' name. Amen. You hear of a great restaurant in Charlotte, and um, you just want to check it out. And so you make your way to this amazing restaurant, and as you are seated to your table, a waiter comes and he brings you a delicious, I mean, like warm basket of bread. There's just like a little bit of smoke coming out. It's just like, oh, feels so good. Butter. It's not cold. It's put inside the basket so that it just warms it up so it's just right. Am I making you hungry? I'm starved. <clears throat> and so you get that basket of bread, and he proceeds to pour some oil. I'm Italian. you got to have oil. <laughs> and he proceeds, and he puts a little oil and salt and pepper, and it's just, ah, oh, it's great. And then he gives you a menu, and he says, okay, here. Now, you're in this amazing restaurant, but you're not there because you want that bread. You did not go to that restaurant because bread was on the menu, right? You went to that restaurant because of other things. Bread is an add-on. It's something that if you feel like, you'll eat it. If you even want to, you'll eat it. If you don't want to, forget about it. Who cares about the bread? You're there for the steak. You're there for that delicious, delicious place of uh, carbonara. I don't know, whatever it is that you like. That is why you're there. You see, prayer to the church is that bread to that restaurant. Prayer to the church is like the bread to that restaurant. We consume it because it's there. We consume it and if we feel like it, we take it. But the reality is that the main reason why we come to church is not for prayer. If we're truly being honest with ourselves, and I've asked myself this question many times in my own personal life, prayer has taken a back seat. It's taken a back seat in my life. It's taken a back seat in the North American church. 
If we truly are honest with ourselves, we'll realize that. That if we want to see God move in our midst, if we are truly desiring to hear the voice of God speak to our hearts, if we want to see God manifested in our midst, we must make a return to prayer. We must humble ourselves and pray. Guys, if Jesus had to do it, if Jesus had to get away in a secret, deserted place and talk to the Father, if Jesus had to lift up his eyes to heaven and pray to the Father, how much more should we give ourselves to prayer? Because the subject of prayer is so vast, and I mean, we could literally talk about prayer for weeks and months, literally. There's so much to say about it. I'm going to try in this short time that we have to set a, a backdrop around what we should uh, consider about prayer. You see, in the average American church today, the Sunday service shows the popularity of the worship team and the preacher. The prayer meeting shows the popularity of God. Many of us have developed a skewed view of prayer. For many, prayer is like tossing a request up to heaven. If we're lucky and it sticks, we get an answer, praise God. If it doesn't, well, at least we tried. For others, prayer is something that we do out of a sense of duty. Like loading the dishwasher, doing the laundry, vacuuming the house. I mean, like, who doesn't love that? For others still, prayer is more of a discipline than a joy. There's so much striving in their prayer lives that it becomes hard to find pleasure in talking to the Father because we just got to do the, right, the next thing. It's time. I just got to spend my 15 minutes in prayer right now. That's not what God is looking for. God and his word have a different view of prayer. As it pertains to us individually, God absolutely loves it when we spend time with him. He loves to answer our prayers. He loves to talk to us so much. Corporately, the church should be known as a place where prayer is of key importance. And specifically for our church, Above all programs, above all areas of ministry involvement, above anything that we do, above worship, above any discipleship program, connecting with the Father is of paramount importance. Prayer is the key. It is imperative that we realize that prayer is the key to our success as a church. Programs and gatherings that have no prayer element become time wasters. You see, prayer changes things. Prayer will render what we do effective as we stay close to the heart of God. Without prayer, it's just an activity. No church that is spiritually, spiritually thriving. I want to put that emphasis on spiritually thriving. Does so without thriving in prayer. And as believers, guys, we can't win the world if we cannot win in the prayer closet. We can't win the world if we can't win the prayer closet. I believe that in the life of our church and in the life of 
our culture and society today, both individually and as a church, we are at a tipping point. There's a great book that it was written that's called A Tipping Point. If you don't know what a tipping point is, a tipping point is the point at which a series of small changes becomes significant enough to cause a larger and more important change. Wikipedia in the topic about uh, a tipping point in sociology says this, that a tipping point is defined as a point in time when a group or many group members rapidly and dramatically change their behavior by widely adopting a previously rare practice. I submit to you this morning that prayer has become that rare practice. One that we must re-embrace with our whole hearts to rapidly and dramatically change our behavior to see the manifestation of the glory of God in our midst. Individually, guys, we cannot grow. We cannot grow without giving ourselves to prayer corporately. We cannot reach our full potential as a church unless we realize that our very existence depends on the importance of prayer in our lives as a church. Like the air that we breathe and the water that we drink are key to our survival, prayer and God's presence are needed if we are to see a spiritual awakening in our world. When it comes to prayer, we have done so many things. We've tried in so many ways. We have tried by shaming people, forcing people to come to prayer meetings. We've even offered donuts and coffee to give them as a reward for attending a prayer meeting. And then we kind of wonder why we don't have a natural desire and hunger for the things of God because we're offering donuts and coffee as a reward for someone that really doesn't want to be there. Come on, let's be honest. Psalm 51 verse 17 says that the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite, a contrite heart. That word contrite means repentant. A broken and repentant heart, oh God, you will not despise. That's what God is looking for. He's looking for a heart that is desiring, that wants to be in his presence. Leonard Ravenhill, the great revivalist, said this. The Cinderella of the church today is a prayer meeting. The handmaid of the Lord is unloved and unwooed because she's not dripping with the pearls of intellectualism nor glamorous with the silks of philosophy. Neither is she enchanting with the tiara of psychology. She wears the homespuns of sincerity and humility and is not afraid to kneel. We need to pray. But how do we become lovers of God in prayer? How do we grow in our desire? How do we grow in our desire individually and as a church to want to pray? God has to instill that desire in us. But it has to start at one point, And that is by saying yes. And so <clears throat> this morning in the time that we have, let me highlight a couple of key elements that I believe will be of help to us as we grow closer in our desire and, and wish to get into the presence of God. 
First and foremost, prayer should be the natural expression of our identity and the most natural form of connecting us to the heart of the Father. Let me repeat that the most natural expression of our identity and the most natural form of connecting to the heart of the Father. What is prayer? Prayer is relational communication with God. As we pray, we draw heaven to earth. We draw eternity into time. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may find or we may receive mercy and find grace in time of need. Now, I don't know about you this morning, but I'm not sure that many times we realize the power and the importance of this verse. Where it says that we can draw near to the throne of grace with confidence. You see, in olden times when kings were the primary figure of authority, you couldn't just approach a king just like you would approach your brother or sister or any family member or a close friend. They were protected. Some were protected by guards. And so if you approached a king without permission, you would do that at the, at the risk of your own life. They were in a class to their own. They were superior to anyone else. To talk to a king, you needed to request an audience with the king. You would have to be brought in, sometimes not even being able to make eye contact with the king. You would have to bow down, <clears throat> bow down and when asked, you would present your case to the king. <clears throat> Excuse me. You would talk to the king about the reason why you were there. And he would then listen to your case. And he would render judgment based on his conclusions. Aren't you glad that God is not like that? Yeah. Think about it for a moment. If you had to do all that today as we go in prayer to the Lord, that would be tough. <clears throat> not only he is more than a king. He is the king of kings. He is the God of the universe. The ultimate authority. He is above all. Colossians 1 says that he is before all. And yet he calls us his sons and daughters. What a privilege. That we are called his children. That we have access to draw closer to him at any time. Wouldn't it be sad guys? <clears throat> If we as fathers were so demanding to our kids, to our children, that they felt like they couldn't approach us with anything, that is where, as fathers, and I'm going to talk to the fathers for a minute, that is where, as fathers, we get to shape the image of a heavenly father to our children. This is not mom's role. This is dad's role. In the divine order, the role belongs to fathers because the role defines position. So when fathers leave their families, when fathers leave their home to go on their extramarital adventures, what they're really showing their kids is that God is not available. God cannot be accessed. And that's why today we get into church environments where it's just so hard People have a hard time saying, Heavenly Father. 
Because we can't see God as a father. We so much strive to see him as a dad. Because our fathers have given us a bad influence growing up. But when our children have open access to their fathers. When they can ask for anything within reason. When they can go to dad and say, hey dad, got a question. Hey dad, can you do this for me? Hey pops. My dad, my, my son calls me pops. I don't know where that came from. <laughs> I have no idea. He's not here this morning. <laughs> hey pops. I'm like, oh pops. Okay, well pops. <laughs> hey dad. Anything within reason. We are shaping the view of what a good father looks like. Which includes at times saying no. Because God will not always say yes. Come on. You know there are three answers with God and only three answers? You say three? Yeah, three. Yes, no, and wait. So when he tells you yes, you know what to do. When he says no, you know what to do. When he says wait, you keep on praying. Wait, you keep on praying. Prayer is that natural expression of our identity and the most natural form of connecting with God, our Father. Number two, prayer is a lifestyle, not an event. I would tend to say that for the majority of us in church today, prayer is more of of an event than a lifestyle. We attend prayer meetings from time to time, whenever we have an opportunity to, we, we get there. We'll pray the occasional prayer before dinner, at bedtime, maybe, if we're putting kids in bed. We're asked to pray maybe at a special occasion, something specific, we'll pray. But <clears throat> where is the passion, the desire for us to really want to pray. For prayer to become a lifestyle, guys, there's only one thing that has to happen and we have to be hungry. We have to get hungry and desperate for God. We need to realize that our dependence is on God and not on the things that we have surrounded ourselves with. We cannot take Another step, guys, without God by our side. We must get desperate. We must realize our need for God and stand on that need and just continue and wanting to be fed that 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 need just feeds our hunger and desire for the Lord. In Exodus chapter 33 and verses 15 and 16, it says this. And he said to him, that's Moses, to God, if your presence will not go with me. Do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us? So that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? Do you want to be distinct? Do you want to be known as someone that is different from the average? We need him to go with us. Moses realized it. We can't do this by, I can't do this by myself. 
And as a people, we can't do this by ourselves. We can't live this Christian life on our own merits. You can't do it because your parents were Christians or are Christians, because they brought you to church, because they instilled something in you. You have got to have a desire of your own. Your heart has got to burn inside of you with a passion and a desire to want to get in the presence of God more than anything else. I can't instill that in you. I can't. I'll, I can preach until I'm purple in the face this morning. It will do absolutely nothing. The words that I'm using this morning are just a vehicle. But that hunger, that desire, that wish has to be in you, in me. Prayer is a lifestyle. It's not an event. For the majority of us, you see, we know where our provision comes from. We know where the next money for bills is going to come from. And for many of us, we attribute our success to our own cleverness rather than acknowledging that unless God goes with us, we won't get very far. Now, I realize that God blesses us, and God has blessed many of us, but even a blessing can lose its effect if it takes us away from realizing that our necessity and number one importance is God and not our own skills and abilities prayer is a lifestyle it is not something that we just do on special occasions it is who we should be it must become the greatest desire of our hearts in setting the importance of prayer in our lives we must make never make this mistake you see many times we pray mainly when we're going through afflictions when we're going through struggles and hard times. Rather than praying when the good times are there. You say, why is that a mistake? Because you need a little extra spiritual muscle when you're going through the hard times. And so we make the mistake that when we are like crumbling under the weight of circumstances and our times and issues, that's when we go to God and say, oh God, I need you now. You know what? It's okay. There's no shame and no condemnation. God will answer you. But wouldn't it be so much better if you would face the circumstances of life with a little extra strength? You've done a few spiritual squats. And so when the enemy comes and he throws that burden on your shoulders, you, 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 you kind of feel that, but you just like square yourself back and say, all right, is that all you got? Is that all you got? I'm prayed up. I've talked to Jesus all along. Come on. Hit me with your best shot, right? We don't realize that prayer based on God's order is prayer that is most effective. Because when the enemy throws his, what Ephesians says, is fiery darts. That's when we can be strong in him. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 and 17 says, Rejoice always and pray without ceasing. Would you say that with me? Rejoice always and pray without ceasing. What does that mean, to pray without ceasing? How often is without ceasing? If I were to tell you this morning, 
breathe without ceasing. You know exactly what I mean. Because without breathing, you cease. In other words, it is how you live and how you survive. It's by breathing. Spiritually speaking, in prayer, we need to pray without ceasing because that is how we survive. That is how we live spiritually. Without prayer, we spiritually cease. Number three, prayer is powerful and praying earnestly moves the hand of God. Prayer is powerful and without prayer and praying earnestly, sorry, moves the hand of God. James chapter 5 verse 16 says, The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. If we're honest, we'll admit that many times we struggle with boredom when it comes to prayer. I have. There's some days that you're just there and it's like crickets. All right? Come on. It's like, what do I do now? What's next? I've read my Bible. What's next? You see, many times we approach God with our shopping lists of prayer requests. Go to God and we say, okay, God, I got this for you. Pound of potatoes, five organic tomatoes, a head of lettuce, right? It's a shopping list. God, touch my son, touch my daughter, make sure my boss gives me a raise, you know? Lord, I pray that the pastor doesn't pray, preach silly messages on prayer that I don't want to hear. Amen. Now, can you imagine if we communicated with our spouses? Or our best friend the same way as we do with God so many times. Routine talk. Just a list of to-dos and requests. No interest in the life of that person. No desire to want to know what they're going through. Just a bunch of to-dos. Hey, can you do this for me? Hey, can you do that for me? Hey, can you cook? Can you, like, wash the dishes? And by the way, don't forget to mow the lawn and etc. We can't treat God like a gumball machine where you put in a quarter, you get a gum, and if it doesn't come out, you just take the machine and you shake it. Come on! You ever done that? I have. My quarter. Give me my quarter back or give me my gum. But we do that, and spiritually we do that. Praying earnestly means Praying with sincere and intense conviction. Praying earnestly, that verse that we read, means to pray with sincere and intense conviction. In other words, it means to pray seriously. We got to get serious when it comes to prayer. Prayer is serious business. James 4 and 3 says, You ask and do not receive. Because you ask wrongly to spend on your own passions. Ouch. You know what that verse tells me? It tells me that at times our prayers lack conviction. That our prayer lack 
Our prayers lack purity of motives and purpose. Our prayers must be more than a shopping list of requests and items that we need. Prayer is powerful. And when we pray with sincere and intense conviction, we will see God move on our behalf. I have seen God move on my behalf when I have gone to him with complete sincerity and honesty. And I had absolutely nowhere else to turn to. I had exhausted all my ways. And many times we do that. We exhaust all of our ways and that's when we go to God. Jesus. Our prayers must be sincere and with intense conviction. In Matthew 7, verses 7 and 8, it says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receive. And the one who seeks, find. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. It will be opened. This verse is actually best translated as ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Don't ever stop. If we're not getting what you want, what you've been praying for, don't just give up. Keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. Guys, I read this recently that really startled my spirit. If you received everything you ever prayed for, would that make the world around you better? Or just make your life better? If you got everything that you wanted and you have been praying for, would that make the world around you better? Or just you? There's no doubt that God can do anything and everything. But we need to ask him. We need to sometimes get bold in our prayers. Nothing can stop him. His power is limitless. His supply is unending. He has plenty for all of us. But we must go to him. Let me conclude with this. That prayer, number four, is the most effective support environment in the church. The most effective support environment in the church. Let me take you to Mark chapter 2, verses 3 and 5 to 5. It says, and they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith. When Jesus saw their faith, he was moved. When Jesus saw their faith. You see... In most American churches today, what we do, we rely on pastors and church staff when we need help. As if they have nothing better to do. We have idolized pastors and preachers as if they don't bleed the same way that everyone else does. They don't sweat or go to the bathroom, I know, TMI, like anybody else. We have idolized men and women. 
But you know what? Pastors are not called to babysit. They're called to equip. Normal people with frustrations, discouragement, disappointments, families like everyone else. And we should not put our reliance on individuals. Our total reliance needs to be placed on the Lord. Amen. Amen. You see, more than what a pastor can do for us, what we need is men. Can we put that scripture up again? We need men like that. You know what we need? We need people in our lives, our posse, that will rip a roof open. Come on. That will support us when we cannot support ourselves. That will carry us when we cannot carry ourselves. And they do that in prayer. They are men of action. And that's not to say, by the way, don't misunderstand me this morning. That's not to say that. That what God has called us to do as pastors, as men of God, is in, in, inconsequential to your needs. But what I'm saying is that we got to stop for putting our reliance and our trust in just a man or a woman or someone or a small group of people. We must surround ourselves with people that believe in the power of prayer. We need those men and women in our lives. Matthew chapter 18, verses 19 and 20 says, And again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, and it will, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven, for where two or three are gathered in my name. That's the key right there, guys. It's not just about being gathered. It's not just about two or three or two believing, right? It's in his name I am there with them. In my name, that word name in the Greek means character. It means fame. It means reputation. So if we, two or three of us are gathered in because of his character, because of his fame, because of his reputation, he will be there and he will complete and he will perform what we are praying for. In my name, I will be there. In my name, prayer is the most effective support environment in the church. That is what we need. Let me conclude with this. Uh, we have been talking about prayer so much. And if you have been here <clears throat> in terms of the vision casting of the church, we, uh, Pastor Ryan and Bethany mentioned very clearly that the focus this year is on power, of, uh, uh, sorry, on presence, on prayer, and a couple of other elements. But I want to focus on those, on prayer and presence. That's what we want to seek above anything else. That's what we've been asking the Lord for, and that is what we have heard God speak to us about. And so if we could put the next one here, we want to talk about this prayer initiative, something that has already been ongoing in part, in portion, right, of it, but we want to open up prayer literally every day of the week at church. And so uh, until now, we've had prayers on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday morning. What we want to do is increase that. And so we're going to have Monday through Friday from 6 a.m. to 7.30 a.m. I know that's a little early, but 
the early bird gets the... Not only that, but we also have Sunday morning prayer times. That is 6 to 7 a.m. and 8 to 9 a.m. And you know what, guys? We're a church of about, about 400 people, maybe more when we're all here. If we could all take one of those days, one, even one a month, we probably have a nice group. And we can storm the gates of hell with prayer. Rather than being passive in our approach, we can be active and we can go after the things of God. And we can just begin to pray that God will do what he says in his word exceedingly, abundantly. Above all that we can ask or think, he is able to perform his word. But we have got to stand together. We have got, we got to unite ourselves together. We have got to come together in the name of Jesus. And when we will do that, church... We are going to see the hand of God move in mighty, mighty, mighty ways. So we're not asking everyone to participate every day. I mean, if you can, God bless you. That would be awesome. But if you can't, would you choose one day and just be here and pray with us and just believe that God will perform his word in our midst? Let me conclude with this. All prayers must be fueled with faith. Must be fueled with faith. There's a story of a small town village where they had not gotten rain for so many weeks. It was a terrible drought. And so the man in the church decided that they would take initiative. And so they went to the city center and they got together and they prayed. And they said, God, send the rain. No rain. They waited the next day, they went, and they said, God, send the rain. No rain. They did that for a number of days. And then one day, this young child went there in the midst of them. And he said, Lord, would you please send the rain? In Jesus' name, amen. Waited a little bit, and the sky turned black. After a while, it started raining. The men asked themselves, like, what was the difference? What was the difference? What would you say is the difference? You know what the difference was? The child brought an umbrella. <laughs> he believed that God was going to do it. He had faith. You see, prayer needs to have a fuel. And that fuel is faith. In fact, Matthew 21 and 22 says that whatever you ask, you will receive if you have faith. If you have faith. I pray this morning that God will ignite our hearts with a passion for prayer. But more than that, to give us faith to believe that he will perform what he has said, what he has spoken, that he will perform because he is a mighty God. In Jesus' name, amen.